Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. just awesome to see the room full, the full body here in our one service this morning. Um, Hopefully there wasn't too much confusion for you if you regularly attend the early service today, but we are excited to have everyone here with us at 11 o'clock this morning here at Beaver Dam. Uh, My name is Mark Shaddix. I'm the children's pastor here, and on behalf of all of the pastors here at Beaver Dam, I do want to just say welcome and thank you for joining us this morning. We're excited to be together worshiping the Lord today. I want to go through just a couple of announcements as we begin our service this morning and and make sure that you're aware of some of the things going on in the life of our church. And uh, then we'll get into our worship service together in just a moment. But first thing I want to make sure I mention it, uh, we've mentioned it a few times now, but just continuing to remind you that life groups sign up are still open. Um, If you are not signed up, if you and your family have not signed up for a life group yet, there's still room. We do have 16 total life groups. Four of those are full, um, and so we're super encouraged by those groups that are full, but that means there's still room for 12, in 12 more groups, there's still room for you to sign up. And so we want you to get signed up for life groups that begin on September 17th. We would love to see you and your family get plugged in um, in life groups on Sunday evenings. Um, starting again on that Sunday, September 17th. Um, just a, a reminder as well that we do have our, our annual church-wide picnic that is next Sunday, which is September 10th. Um, so next Sunday we have our church-wide picnic, which will be up at Cades Cove um, State Park. I think it's a state park. Um, now I said Cades Cove and I meant Cove Lake. So that was, it was close. The, the word cove is in there, right? But um, we're at uh, Cove Lake State Park up in La Follette, Carryville area, and so uh, that is going to be a great time. You do need to sign up for that um, because we want to make sure that we know how much food we're going to be preparing and, and serving to you. Um, so make sure you sign up for that church picnic. Again, that's next week, and we are so excited about getting together with the body there. Also, Women's Ministry Kickoff Dinner is coming up on Saturday, September 23rd. Um, that's for all Women's Ministry calendar events. You may have received, ladies, you may have received a calendar match from the women's ministry in the last couple of weeks as they were handing those things out. So that kickoff dinner is coming up on September 23rd, and we want you to get signed up for that and be a part of the women's ministry and just see and hear all the things that are going on with the women um, over the course of the next year. And then one other quick announcement that I want to make sure is that um, today over in the chapel from 2 to 4, Tina Parlier's mother is having a her um, memorial kind of receiving of friends, and so we want to invite for you to visit with Tina Parlier and her family as they remember her mother today from 2 to 4 over in the chapel. Well, if you are a guest of ours this morning, we are super excited that you are here. Hopefully you received a bulletin. You can see uh, these things that I've already mentioned written in in writing form. You can take it home with you. Uh, But also we have a guest card on the back of the pew right in front of you that we would encourage you to fill that out and take it directly back to our welcome desk that's in the back of the sanctuary. Um, Either I or one of our uh, pastors will be back there to to gather that from you, to collect that, and then give, give you a gift. Um, just to say thank you for joining with us this morning, for being here, for filling that out. And then um, we would be happy to answer any questions that you have about Beaver Dam um, this morning before you leave as well. But I do want to lead us in a word of prayer as we begin our service together this morning. So if you would, let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for the privilege it is to be gathered together with other 
believers, other brothers and sisters that we're united to in your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this particular Sunday, uh, for the gift it is to be alive and well today, worshiping you and in fellowship with others. God, I pray that as we spend time together singing your praises and hearing your word proclaimed, um, Father, that you would be honored and glorified in our time together this morning. God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, our salvation in him, which is the, the whole reason we're here. God, we thank you for that incredible gift of mercy and grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
a song. It's a setting of Psalm 46. It's been inspired by that passage. So we're going to sing and invite you to join with us. So just listen and pay attention and add your voices to ours as you feel comfortable.
first. You are the shelter in the time of the storm, the one in whom we can seek refuge. May we continue to bless your name as we continue in song and hear your word read and preached. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. At this time, our children in kindergarten through third grade are dismissed to Children's Church. As we continue forward, as you stand and we sing to our Lord, your cross, O oh Lord, let's lift our voices. Cross, O oh Lord, taught me to sing. Supper is familiar to many of us. We entered the sanctuary this morning and we saw the trays and we immediately realized what is taking place today. And so we've heard the explanations before, we've listened to the sermons, and so the danger for us who are familiar with the Lord's Supper is that we take it while going through the motions. We don't engage our minds or we don't reflect in thought. For others of you, it might not be all that familiar, and maybe you're even wondering what these trays are down here, or why there's actually people sitting on the front row of the sanctuary this morning. 
But either way, when we do partake of the Lord's Supper, I like to make sure it is the focus of our service. I don't like to tack it on to the end of whatever sermon I might be doing for that day. And as a result, we will not be in the book of Jonah this morning. We will leave him for another week seeking to the, sinking to the bottom of the sea while we partake of the Lord's Supper. We used to do this on a quarterly basis, alternating between Sunday morning and Sunday evening. So we did it four times a year. But when COVID hit, we uh, changed all of that. And now we tend to do it uh, around Easter and Christmas and then several other times throughout the year. Now, I realize that other churches do it more frequently. Some do it even weekly. But the Bible does not stipulate how often we are to remember the Lord's Supper, just that we are to do it. We do, of course, know that Jesus commanded us to do this. And so in partaking this morning, we are following thousands of years of church history while being obedient to God's command at the same time. Sometimes it's called communion. Other denominations use the word Eucharist, but we tend to say the Lord's Supper. And the fact that it is commanded ought to be sufficient for us, but I do want to spend some time in preparation today before we partake which means I do want to take some time to explain what it is we're doing and why it is we are doing it. I tend to assume wrongly sometimes because I was raised in Southern Baptist churches and have been doing this in a very similar way all of my life. I I tend to assume that everyone understands it as well, but I realize that is not always the case. You might come from a different faith background and You are somewhat familiar with it, but you did it in a different way, and it maybe even had a different meaning, and so I think it is important that we remind ourselves. And so for some of you, that is what this is going to be. It is going to be a reminder. There's nothing wrong with that. We all need reminders from time to time. For others, it might clear some of the confusion up or at least get you to thinking about what it is and why we are doing it. We are going to start today in a rather odd place. This is not the go-to passage of Scripture that we normally use for the Lord's Supper, but we are going to begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. And so I'm going to invite you to turn there, and I'm going to invite you to keep your Bibles open, because later we will go to 1 Corinthians, which of course is one of the go-to passages. We need to start here to see why all of this is necessary before we talk about what it is we are doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 20. Therefore, and so that tells us we're breaking into the middle of an argument here, a middle of a discussion, and another reason why I want you to leave your Bibles open is we are going to look at some of the other verses here. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this whole passage deals with reconciliation. Christ reconciling us to God and therefore now giving us the ministry of reconciliation. Meaning that we are, to use Paul's words, we are to implore people to be reconciled to God. 
Now, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, the need for reconciliation means something is amiss. And that is why we begin today with what I'm calling the implied estrangement. There is no need to be reconciled unless there is first some sort of separation. This is true in any relationship. The parent-child relationship or siblings who might be estranged. If you have a healthy and loving relationship, the word reconciliation doesn't even enter your vocabulary because it does not apply. It is only as you have a wayward child or a broken home or the black sheep of the family that the idea of reconciliation enters the picture. Spiritually speaking, we are estranged from God. There is a separation between us and God. And what has caused that separation is a very small and yet complex word. It is the word sin. Verses 14 and 15 imply this as they talk about the death and resurrection of Christ on our behalf, which is one of the reasons why we are doing what we are doing this morning, and we'll talk more about that later. But sin entered the world through one man's disobedience, that is Adam, and therefore because of his disobedience, all died and became sinners. But the second Adam, that is Christ, died for our sins, taking them upon himself, and that's what we see in verse 21. You say, but what is sin? Sin is one of those words we use in the church a lot and just sort of assume that everybody understands what it means. Sin biblically means missing the mark. It's like in archery where you have a bullseye that you are trying to hit And you shoot an arrow at that bullseye, only you do not hit it. That is essentially what sin means. It is missing the mark. Which leads to another question, and that is, what is the mark? What is it that we are trying to hit, which we have missed? And this is significant because so many people are content in the belief that they have, in fact, hit the mark. That sin might be part of their lives, but certainly not a major problem. And so the mark we're talking about is not that we must be better than the majority. It is not that we must be better than whoever we measure ourselves against. It is not that we have tried our best, as many people claim to have done. So many people think that as long as we've given our best effort, that they're all right with God. But people don't even do that. Even if that were the mark, you and I would fall short because we don't give our best all the time. So what, are, what mark are we missing? It's not avoiding the big sins and only committing what we consider to be lesser sins. You remember that statement that we saw in the Sermon on the Mount? The alarming statement where Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is the mark. The mark is perfection. The mark is sinlessness which of course means we have all missed the mark. And because we've all missed the mark, we are estranged or separated from God. And that, of course, presents us with a serious problem, one that we can leave hanging until we meet with God someday, or one that we can deal with now, which of course is preferred. So this implied estrangement leads us to an ultimate result, 
And we will look at both sides of the equation here. The ultimate result for those who do not seek reconciliation with God and those who do. Again, verse 21 gives us the implied answer. It says there that we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, but if we're not, then we are still in our sins. We do not have the righteousness of Christ. It is not credited to our account, and therefore we are still in our sins. And Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, eternal death. That is the paycheck for our sins. That is what we naturally earn. Everyone thinks they want what they deserve from God. What we deserve from God is spiritual and eternal death for our sins. That is the ultimate result if you do not become reconciled to God. But the other side of the coin is you can embrace the reconciliation found in Christ, and then the ultimate result is much different. And there we find that we have forgiveness of sins. If you go back to verse 19, it says they're not counting their trespasses against them. That is a way of talking about the forgiveness of sins, something we certainly do not deserve, something we certainly could not earn, but it is given to us, as we've already sung, by the grace of God. And as a result, we are given the righteousness of Christ. Instead of the sin that once clothed us, we are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ, which does not mean that we've become sinless nor perfect, but it does mean that we are credited with Christ's work. We are credited with his perfection. He lived a sinless life, and through our embracing by faith what he's done for us, then we are credited with his obedience because he took our sinful disobedience. Which is why then the gospel calls for an urgent response. And there is an urgent response here for all of us. You can receive the message of reconciliation. That is what Paul is urging us to do in this passage. That is the step that must be taken before you can participate in the Lord's Supper. So let me make that very clear. If you are not reconciled to God through Christ, if you are still estranged because of your sins then we do not invite nor expect you to participate when the plates are passed. That is the initial step that must take place in our lives before we can celebrate the Lord's Supper as we are doing this morning. The other response is that all of us who have been reconciled now understand that we have the message of reconciliation to be proclaimed to others. We are called to speak on behalf of God. God is making his appeal to sinners through us. And that is why we implore people to be reconciled to God. So it is not just that we come to the table this morning because we've been reconciled to God and we have forgiveness of sins. That certainly is part of it. But we must also recognize that we have that message to proclaim, not only in doing the Lord's Supper, but throughout our lives, proclaiming to people that it's not just that I've been reconciled to God, but you can be reconciled to God as well. The same way that I've been reconciled, by grace through faith. And so with all of that as a background, as a prerequisite to our celebration, we now turn our attention to what this celebration itself means. 
This supper has several meanings. First of all, it is a celebration of unity. It's one of the reasons we're doing a one service this morning, because we want to celebrate this together. But if you know anything about the Corinthian church, to which Paul is writing this letter and the previous one, you know that the word unity was not a very common word in that church. Unless, of course, they were talking about their lack of unity. Because Paul is writing to this church, and it's probably without a doubt the the church that had more problems than any other to which he wrote. They were divided over spiritual leaders. That is, who are they going to follow? Are you going to follow Peter or Paul or Apollos? Or are you going to be really spiritual and only follow Christ? They were divided over sexual immorality. They had people within their fellowship who were committing gross things against the Lord, and they weren't doing anything about it. They were divided in court, taking their differences to secular courts rather than being reconciled and working out their differences among the body of believers. They were divided over social lines, allowing social distinctions to separate them within the body of Christ. They were divided over spiritual gifts. That's why Paul spends so much time in in these letters talking about the use and abuse of spiritual gifts. And these are just the easy things to spot. I'm sure there were other divisions among them as well. In short, this was a church who was simply not living out the gospel in their relationships with one another. The gospel was supposed to break down all of these barriers, creating unity among believers. In other words, any and all distinctions were to be set aside because as believers, we are now one in Christ. A message, by the way, that is sorely needed again in our time. And instead, they were coming even to the Lord's table, this celebration of unity with all of these divisions intact. It wasn't a community meal where they were celebrating together. It was a picnic where everyone brought their own meal. And so some were experiencing a lavish meal while others were going away hungry. A clear case of the rich versus the poor and what was supposed to be a symbol of unity. And Paul says that was never the intent. He writes to the Ephesians, there is one body and one spirit. Just as also you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And the point of all of those ones is that all of the distinctions between believers are broken down when we are converted to Christ. Yes, we are different in many ways, but we are one in Jesus Christ. And that is what this celebration reminds us of. Unity doesn't mean that we agree on everything, And then if we don't agree on everything, that we have to grow to our separate corners or our separate churches, it means that we come together as a body under the lordship of Jesus Christ and we learn how to get along with one another because we are one in Christ and doing so because our relationship with Jesus is much more important than everything and anything else. And therefore, believers from different backgrounds can come together around the table because we are unified in our relationship with Jesus Christ. There is an old saying, and I don't know who to attribute it to, so I won't attribute it to anybody, but it's certainly not new to me, that says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. 
And what that means is, as a body of believers in the essential doctrines, the orthodox doctrines of our faith that are necessary for salvation, we are in agreement. But in non-essentials, there is liberty for us to have different viewpoints and opinions, but in all things, charity, which is another word for love, which means we are to love one another regardless. Paul begins the letter to Corinth after the initial greeting with these words, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That is what the gospel is to do in a body of believers. And that is what we celebrate this morning, that we are unified in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we notice, secondly, that this is a celebration of deliverance. That is certainly the core idea behind the Passover, the Israelites being delivered from Egyptian bondage and beginning their journey to the promised land. They were delivered from that death plague, the last of the 10 plagues, by sacrificing a lamb and putting some of the blood over the doorpost so that when the angel of death came that night, he would pass over that house. That's where the name of the celebration comes from. And we know that the night of his celebration with his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus transformed the Passover meal into what we are doing this morning, a celebration of our own deliverance from sin. Again, Paul writes elsewhere, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has translated or transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Salvation is about a deliverance from one domain to another, from the domain of sin or the domain of darkness and being transferred into the realm or the domain of the kingdom of God which means we've been redeemed, we've been bought back. That's what that word means. Christ has bought us with his blood, and therefore we have been redeemed and now belong to him. So many people are nonchalant about all of this, perhaps because you were raised in a Christian home as I was, maybe because you didn't know a time, really, when you never went to church. It was just always a part of your life, and as a result, you can't really remember being in a domain of darkness. And because of that, we tend to treat it rather superficially. And I'm not saying it would be good for us if we had dark experiences, that's not my point. But I am saying those who understand their life of sin and the conversion that they have through Christ are sometimes more joyful and excited about that relationship because they know from whence they came. And the truth of the matter is all of us have come from that. Whether you have a dark past or not, you were a subject of sin. You were in the domain of darkness, whether you were converted at the age of five or 50 or anywhere in between or after. You still were converted from the domain of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. And as a result, we have reason to celebrate. It is a celebration of remembrance. Flip back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This, of course, is one of the go-to passages in uh, the Lord's Supper time. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 25. For I received from the Lord... What I also delivered to you, 
that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. On both occasions, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, that is not to imply that they were going to forget him. They had spent three years roughly with him. They had heard him teach They had seen him do miracles. They had lived life with him. They were certainly not going to forget Jesus. So what does he mean when he says, do this in remembrance of me? Well, Paul, in another letter in Colossians, reminds the the folks in Colossae, he says, remember my chains. That doesn't mean that he wanted them to not forget that he was in prison. They knew that. It's another way of saying, I want you to, I want you to think about me. You know that 9-11 is coming up a week from tomorrow. And of course, we will be encouraged to remember. And most of us can remember that are old enough where we were when that happened. There's other great events. I don't want to call that a great event. I shouldn't have said it that way. But there are other historic events in our lives that we can remember precisely where we were when the event happened. And when we talk about remembering an event like that, it doesn't mean remember the facts. We're talking about remembering it in a way that that has significance. And that's what Jesus is saying here when he says, do this in remembrance of me. He is not saying that we have a tendency to forget who Jesus is, but we do have a tendency to forget the significance of the gospel and what it means to be saved and to follow Christ. We fail sometimes to grasp the significance or apply it to our daily lives. So I'm not saying that you have forgotten the facts, but we don't come this morning to celebrate facts. We don't do this ceremony or this ordinance to use a theological term to remind us merely of the facts, but we are reminded of the significance because we are prone to forget. We are prone to get so busy in our daily lives that we forget the significance of what it means to be saved from our sins and to know that we are in the kingdom of God. We assume so many times. Many believers can't even articulate the gospel because they just assume it is what, what they've always been told and they can't really articulate what it means nor how it is significant in their daily lives. And when they do come to church, they don't want to hear about the gospel. They want to hear something more practical, or so they say. But it is the gospel that is applied to our lives that put marriages back together. It is the gospel that is lived out that makes for better parents and better children and better employees and better church members. It is the gospel fleshed out that will transform society. In short, one of the reasons, if not the reason, that Christians struggle so mightily is because we simply are not consistently applying the gospel to our daily lives. Instead, we simply assume, and the remembrance of Christ draws us back to the core teaching of what it is we are about, 
reminding us again of the gospel that has saved us and the gospel that keeps us and the gospel that transforms us. And that is a reminder that all of us need from time to time. And that is why this celebration is called upon for us to bring us back to the gospel, to that core belief and how it impacts our daily lives. So when we partake in just a few moments, I want you to remember who Christ is and what he has accomplished for you. I want us to set aside our agenda and our plans. I want you to not be thinking about the other things you're going to be doing for the rest of this holiday weekend. Instead, for just a few moments, I want us to think about the cross. To hear those cries of abandonment from Jesus. Why have you forsaken me? To think about the emptiness the disciples must have felt after they laid the body of Jesus in the tomb. To think about that weekend where they didn't know that Jesus was going to rise again in spite of the fact that he told them. And so they spent those few days wondering what the future was all about. But I want you to also think about your own sin and your own inability to do anything about it and how God in Christ has delivered you. But we're not going to stay there because this is a celebration of remembrance, but it is also a celebration of anticipation. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are not just looking back at what Christ has done. We are not even just looking at our present and seeing how the gospel is transforming our lives. We are proclaiming the death of Christ for sinners until the day when Christ returns. A day that we long for. A day that we anticipate and we proclaim. So what we are doing this morning together as Christians has been done in a variety of ways for thousands of years since that first Thursday when Jesus ate it with his disciples. And in so doing, we are celebrating that one day we are going to be reunited with him in heaven to celebrate with him forever. This is an anticipatory meal. We are looking forward to the day when we will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb that the book of Revelation says, blessed are all those who are invited to that supper. And your participation here this morning anticipates the day that you will be part of that celebration. So this is not just a ritual to be performed. It is not just an ordinance to be observed. It is a celebration of who Christ is, what he has done for us in the past, and how we long to be with him in the present and know from his promises that we will. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you that we can gather this morning and do as Jesus commanded so many years ago. That as we partake of the bread as symbolic of his body and drink the juice as symbolic of his blood, we are proclaiming the Lord's death to save sinners like us. And we are anticipating the day when we will be with you in heaven forever. May we do so today with reflective minds and thoughts focused on you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.
because we've just heard um, so much about the Lord's Supper and about what we're going to do, I want to encourage you to go ahead and you can open up and take the bread. I just wanted to read um, just two verses. With, yeah, it's quite cool. One from Isaiah chapter 53, just about the body of Christ. That In Isaiah 53, 5, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. That upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That reminder, as we've heard, that we know this, but... Dwelling on the reality that Christ's body was pierced and crushed and wounded for our healing and salvation. And that reminder in Hebrews chapter 7 as well that says that Christ died once and for all. That he made his sacrifice once and for all when his body was hung up on the cross. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the body of your son Jesus Christ. We thank you for our salvation in him and that he was willing to die for our sins and forgiveness for your glory. Thank you for the body of your son, Jesus Christ, and for the remembrance that we now partake in together. Amen. Christ said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So now we're going to sing, and you're going to have an opportunity to respond. If you need to cry out to Christ for salvation, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you need prayer, we're down here for that. And so you stand, you sing, you respond to what you've heard this morning. 